The title of my message is Constant Communication. I again want to continue to talk to you about prayer as spiritual warfare from the sixth chapter of Ephesians. So I will begin with reading the entire passage regarding our armor. It is Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And that's not something we do. It's something he does to us. And we recognize that he has done it. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We're not ever strong in our own self-effort. He has given us all the power that we need. 11, put on, or better yet, let the truth sink down into who you are. Put on this whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that's all he has schemes and wiles and lies. But we wrestle not. Wrestle is something that people start when they're standing. In the Greek games, wrestling started on your feet. And the one who got his opponent on the ground was the one who won, the one who stayed standing. It is not our battle to try to fight demons and all of that. Our battle is to simply stay standing in the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. People are never the real problem, <laughs> but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, or and because of all of that, take unto you, which and in the Greek it says, having taken unto you the whole armor, having already taken the armor. When did we get it? <laughs> the day we received Jesus Christ, he has clothed us completely with all that he is and all that he has. Therefore, having taken unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. Stand. Just keep standing. Standing, therefore, having, already having your loins girt about with the truth, who is Christ, and having on already the breastplate of righteousness, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, and already having on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, and already having the shield of faith, wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Jesus gives us his faith. It is the shield, not a shield. It's not something I make. <laughs> it's something that's been given to me so that I can use it. <laughs> we have the shield of faith by which we can quench all the fiery darts. What are those darts? The lies, the schemes of the evil one. And also it means having taken, having taken the helmet of salvation, the grace that brings forth salvation. The word there for salvation means salvation bringing. Put the grace that brings salvation into and through our lives. We've already taken it. It's the grace. It is the free favor. It is the fullness of who God is for free. Having the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is actually the sword, comma, the spirit, which is the spoken rhema word of God. Praying always, which actually means through every occasion, through each opportunity. <laughs> Why? Because the day is evil. <laughs> and we want to get through it as soon as possible. <laughs> Praying through every occasion with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. In the spirit is our position. We are not in the flesh. We do not jump in and out of the spirit. We do not jump in and out of Jesus. We are in the spirit. That is our position. We can't get out. <laughs> so we pray from or with the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. As I established previously, our armor is not something we need to do or to put on. <laughs> our armor is actually the finished works of Jesus applied to us by our Father. We have already been clothed with Jesus and his finished works. But if we don't know the truth of who we are and what we have, then Satan will be happy to deceive us out of our inheritance which is the completely free access to the kingdom and power of God right here and right now. So Paul is simply portraying the truths of our salvation as a completely complete suit of armor. 
everything we need to continue to stand in our God-given victory has already been provided for us through the finished works of Jesus. We don't have to be something other than we are. We don't have to try to become holy. We don't have to try to become righteous. I have been declared right with God and nothing I do can make me unright because it's his work, not mine. It doesn't matter how good I am. Sinners can be really good. It doesn't make them sons. What they're missing is the life of Christ. Good works don't purchase anything. Good works from the life of a believer is fruit. It's fruit of our faith. It's faith you can see. It's all about how what he has done and has given to us for free. So Paul is simply portraying the truths of our salvation as this completely complete suit of armor because everything we need for life and godliness has already been granted. We don't really even have to ask because if we know what the covenant is, we know the answers already. Yes, do I need this for life or for godliness? Thank you, Jesus. Now he tells us to ask because we need to hear him speak. Hearing him speak causes our faith to rise. So every believer already has the helmet of salvation, which is the grace that brings forth salvation into and through our lives. He's always at work on our behalf, even though we may not see it. His grace, his free favor, his interference. Thank you, Jesus. He's an interfering God. He interferes on our behalf. Every believer already has the shield of faith which has been issued to us by our Father, and it is the very faith of Jesus. How often have you come to God? I did for years. Do I have enough faith for this? How do I make enough faith? Go to an altar to receive prayer for healing. God, is today the day I'll have enough faith to get what you've promised? That's relying on me. That's my shield of faith, and it's pretty wobbly. We need his shield of faith because he is faithful. Every believer already has the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness. So every believer already has been declared eternally righteous. We're not just righteous till the next sin. (laughs) We are eternally righteous apart from what we do. Now what we do will affect our lives. Let's be real here. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, Hello, it's coming back. (laughs) He says, you'll reap. We need to know that because even though sin does not affect our relationship with God, it does affect our lives. (laughs) We don't need to think that because I'm once saved, always saved, that it doesn't matter how I live. That kind of thinking is so low. (laughs) It has such a small picture of who you are and what he's done for you and what he's called you to do and to be. Every believer already has the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. And truth can only be found in him and through him by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is always at work in us, always at work in us to lead us into all the truth. Every believer already has the shoes of the gospel of peace that have been adjusted to fit us perfectly (laughs) so that we can rest in the truth that God is always at peace with us apart from our performance. Every believer already has Holy Spirit, who is our sword. He is the one that speaks the rhema word of God to us. The rhema word of God destroys the lies our flesh head so often believes, the lies that religion so often believes. So we don't need to see ourselves putting on pieces of metal because what we put on, or better yet, sink down into is the truth of what Jesus has already done for us and as us. In fact, the truths of our armor are so powerful that when we understand and believe in all that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, it changes the way we pray. And prayer, according to the Apostle Paul, is really the point of understanding our armor or the finished works of Jesus. Through the finished works of Jesus, we have been fully equipped to have constant communication with God. And that's what prayer really is, constant communication with God. Now, we tend to think of prayer as asking God for things. 
that's definitely included in our communication. But prayer is so much more than just asking our dad for stuff. Under the new covenant, we as believers are privileged to have God's presence and power with us all the time. (laughs) But often believers are taught to replicate the old covenant ways of approaching God. For instance, there's this song I used to love years and years and years ago. It's called Take Me In, or Take Me Into the Holy of Holies. I liked the song before I received the full revelation of God's grace. Now it makes me cringe. (laughs) I have the lyrics for you to see. Take me past the outer court. Obviously, this is a prayer to God. Take me past the outer court and into the holy place, past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. Take me past the crowds of people and the priests who sing your praise. Lord, I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, and it's only found one place. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take the coal, cleanse my lips, here I am. This is still, to this day, a very popular song, unfortunately, because this is Old Covenant thinking. (laughs) And unfortunately, believers today are told that this is how we approach God. This Old Covenant thinking would have been very popular and ingrained in the early church, both for Jews and for pagans. The new covenant was so new, nobody understood. (laughs) It takes a while to understand the grace of God, that it is as big and as good and as true as we have been told, but for so many have not received. Both the Jews and the pagans would have had a mindset of separation. God is far away, and he's mad because I'm unclean, and I have to bring a sacrifice. I have to do something to get God to accept me. This song approaches God from a separation point of view. It sees the believer outside of God's temple, outside of his presence, and outside of his righteousness. It sees the believer as being unclean and needing something from the outside of them to come and cleanse them repeatedly. And unfortunately, the large part of the church has the same exact mindset especially if you're a good Christian. (laughs) Because if you're a good Christian, you want to be clean and you want to be holy and you want to be righteous and you do everything in your power to make yourself acceptable to God. For the most part, the bride of Christ does not understand who and what she is. They don't understand what Christ has done to them and as them through the finished works of Jesus. So she continues to sing songs of separation and uncleanness and sacrifice and trying harder to do better. The basis of this song comes out of Isaiah. And yes, Isaiah would have had to work his way through the process of coming into God's presence and being cleansed from his sin. Absolutely. Old covenant, not our covenant. That's not who we are. We are the bride of Christ whose head is covered in the grace that brings forth salvation on a continual basis. We are dressed in the very righteousness of Jesus himself, and that protects our heart from fearing our Father's displeasure or abandonment. I never have to be afraid that God is mad, or God is disappointed, or God is going to reject me somehow. God has made me fully accepted in the Beloved. As the bride of Christ, we wear the belt of truth regarding the true knowledge of who God is and all that he has done. We are already wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace. Peace with God. (laughs) Peace with God. God is forever at peace with humanity. Humanity just has to decide that they want it. We are technically spiritually immovable. No matter what we have done, no matter what we have failed to do, we are always inside the Holy of Holies. We are always clean. We are always acceptable in the sight of our Father. The truth is we never actually leave the throne of grace. A really long time ago, when my kids were small, I was an at-home mom. 
but because of our financial situation, I needed to either go back to school or go back to work. And the truth was, I didn't want to do either one. <laughs> I wanted to continue to be an at-home mom, but not just because I wanted to be with my kids, but because I wanted to be continually in God's presence. I didn't want to have to think about things other than God for large portions of time. I wanted to be able to continually talk to God and live, quote unquote, in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> so one day, I was telling God that I didn't want to leave him, you know, with my hand on my forehead, suffering. <laughs> God, I don't want to leave you. <laughs> I don't want to have to think about worldly things, Jesus. Can you tell I went to a holiness church? <laughs> and as I'm whining to God, he interrupts my whining. What? <laughs> Aren't you happy that I'm suffering for you, Jesus? <laughs> and he asked me a question. He says, what makes you think you can leave the Holy of Holies? <laughs> he said, you don't understand, sweetie. You are the Holy of Holies. God in all of his might and power and glory lives inside of you. You are the Holy of Holies. You can't get out of you. <laughs> and he says, it doesn't matter if you have to think about other things. Your thoughts don't determine where you spiritually reside. That is something Christ decided for us. I had an old covenant mindset of believing that I was coming into God's presence one minute and leaving God's presence the next, based on what I was thinking or doing. And that's why it's so important for us to understand the finished works of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus finished the work of dealing with all my sin once and for all, for all time. There is now no condemnation from God for any of my sins, ever. Now, everybody else in the world will condemn you <laughs> because they have to live with you, <laughs> but not God. Now, sin is not my practice. Whenever I talk about this kind of things, people kind of raise their eyebrows. What kind of sinning do you do, Pastor Valerie? <laughs> what is the sin that you're not being counted against you for? Sin is not my practice. But I do fall short of God's glorious perfection every once in a while. <laughs> in fact, since I came to Christ as an adult, I've never been a quote-unquote big sinner. I came to Christ at 10, but was unchurched and knew nothing. I came to Christ quote, quote, again <laughs> as a young mother <laughs> and started being discipled in religion. It makes a difference what we hear. But because I was not perfect, I was always beating myself up for not being perfect. Because, hey, there's a scripture that says, be ye perfect, as your Father is perfect. I took that to mean, do perfect, as your Father is perfect. Hmm, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it says, be. Be perfect. He's the one that has made me perfect in my spirit. I'm completely righteous. I am completely holy. I am completely complete. I lack no good thing in my spirit. But that's who I really am. But I didn't know that. I thought I was becoming righteous. I was becoming holy. I was working hard to become what I was already <laughs> and didn't know it. So anyway, I was always bad in my own eyes. I was always bad in my own eyes. I was never bad in my father's eyes. And then in an effort to atone for my lack of perfection, <laughs> I would feel really guilty and beat myself up emotionally for days and days. I would feel ashamed of myself. <laughs> I would try to be sorrier and sorrier because I was told if I'm really sorry, I'll stop falling short of perfection. Never worked. I would often become afraid that God would cause bad things to come into my life to teach me a lesson if I didn't get my imperfection under control. <laughs> and all of that self-effort and self-punishment was based in worthless self-righteousness. It was me trying to make myself right in God's eyes. And for the longest time, I didn't know that I never actually left right standing that I never actually left the Holy of Holies. <laughs> I was, and still am, the Holy of Holies, the place where both God and I dwell together as one. 
And since we and God dwell together as one, we have instant and constant access to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to make constant use of this amazing access. We're supposed to access the mind of God consistently. That's why Paul says, take the knowledge of your armor or the finished works of Jesus and use it in all types of prayer. So understanding that the armor of God represents all the truths that Jesus accomplished on our behalf gives us confidence that God hears us when we pray. And when we pray, we can hear God. (laughs) Nothing we do can change our standing in relationship with God. So we don't have to waste a lot of time by trying to make ourselves clean. This is a very charismatic way of thinking. I and my friend used to go and pray at church all night long, all night long. (laughs) We would spend the first 30 minutes, okay, set the timer, we got to get clean. (laughs) We can't approach God until we get clean. We can't approach God until we fix ourselves. Stupid. (laughs) We were clean the whole time. We were wasting time trying to be clean, trying to make ourselves right, trying to not talk to God until we have satisfied our own religious righteousness. So we don't have to waste a lot of time trying to become clean. Jesus already did that for us. And because we are in him, we are always acceptable to our Father. And therefore, our prayers are always heard. Yes! (laughs) Our prayers are always heard. Even the dumb ones. (laughs) Now, does God sometimes say no? Yes! He will not help you hurt yourself. He will not help you hurt somebody else. He will not help you be stupid. But he still hears them. And he still answers them. He just says, no, we're not robbing a bank today. (laughs) No, you're short on cash. No robbing banks. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Just because God hears us doesn't mean he agrees with us, which is why it's important to know what God does agree with so that we can agree with him in prayer. Now, previously I talked about praying in the spirit, both in English and in our prayer language. Today, I want us to look at praying the written word of God and the rhema word of God. The rhema word of God refers to us hearing and recognizing what God is speaking to us. The last time I ministered, I told you about how I was standing in my pantry where there was nothing good to eat, looking for something good to eat. (laughs) And when I came up with a suggestion in my mind to make a little keto mug cake, The Holy Spirit reminded me, aren't we fasting dessert this week? I said, oh, that's right. (laughs) That's why there's nothing good in here. (laughs) That's a rhema word. Holy Spirit speaking. I recognized that he was speaking because I was thinking of making dessert. And he's saying, no, we've already made a decision to do otherwise. (laughs) Oh, that's right. (laughs) Now, looking back, I probably asked the Holy Spirit what he thought about my snack suggestion. (laughs) Now, this is important because I learned years ago to purpose to include God in all my ways and in all my thoughts habitually. This truth of including God in all of our ways and all of our thoughts can be seen in Proverbs chapter 3. I have it for you in the King James, but I've inserted some new covenant meaning. Understanding, beginning with verse 1, Proverbs 3. My son, forget not my law. (laughs) I put in there written word. We're not under the law or the covenant of the Old Testament, but God has provided us the entire Bible to speak to us through. We would not know who Jesus is, and we would not know what righteousness was ours apart from the word of God. We have to know what's in the word. And it says, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Again, not the 613 Jewish commandments. For the new covenant believer, it is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and love others the same way Jesus loves them. Two commandments, that's it. (laughs) Verse two, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Knowing what's in the word and walking in love will provide for us length of days, long of life and peace. 
That's what it does for us. Verse 3, let not mercy. The word there is actually chesed, and it means the absolutely free loving kindness of God, which is grace. Let not mercy, grace, and truth forsake thee. Grace and truth. I think I've heard that somewhere before. (laughs) And bind, which means to tie together in love. Let grace and truth be tied around our neck and so that the grace and truth would be written on our heart. Verse 4, so shall thou find favor. Favor, this word is not the favor, the word for, for just grace, but for unfair advantage. Yes! <laughs> Hallelujah! Unfair advantage! <laughs> and good understanding in the sight of God and man. We don't earn our favor from God, but we do earn our favor from man. You see, if we're walking in love, and in the word, and in the truth, and in the grace with other people, that's going to cause them to give us favor. Our Father's favor is for free. But he says, if you want favor with man, walk in grace and truth. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. Lean not unto your natural, flesh-headed thinking of fear, and doubt, and unbelief, and guilt, and shame. Don't lean onto that. (laughs) It comes very naturally. (laughs) Don't lean onto that. Trust in the Lord. Verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now the phrase, in all your ways, pertains to our modes of life. And according to the Webster's 1828 dictionary, mode, M-O-D-E, means this. It is the manner of existing or being. It refers to a manner, a method, a form, a fashion, a custom, or a way. And it explains it as the mode of speaking. We would say the way of speaking. The mode of dress. What do we choose to put on? How do we dress? Modes of receiving or entertaining company. In other words, how do we treat people? So mode refers to the ways (laughs) that we choose to live out our life. So the term in all your ways would pretty much mean all the time. (laughs) In whatever you're doing, (laughs) in whatever you're thinking, acknowledge him. So we are to acknowledge God all the time and in everything we do. Now that may sound hard, but it's really not. To acknowledge someone or something is to know the truth regarding that someone or something and to come into agreement with that truth. So we acknowledge that God knows everything and that he is incapable of being wrong or doing wrong. We acknowledge that he has all the wisdom and all the knowledge and all the understanding that we need. We acknowledge that he is agape love and is he gives us his love to love others with. We acknowledge that he loves us endlessly and only wants to do us good. So why would we not want to acknowledge him in all our ways and in all our thoughts? (laughs) We need his constant direction through the Holy Spirit. And in this passage of scripture for us, it all begins with remembering what is written so that we can do what is written while living in the law of love. Now, this isn't something we have to do. It's something we get to do. (laughs) We get to have constant counsel from the Almighty God. Don't you think that's a good idea? (laughs) Absolutely. One of the things that is written in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is God's will for us? (laughs) Always rejoicing, pray without ceasing, and giving thanks in all circumstances. Now, at first glance, this sounds impossible. Rejoice always, really. (laughs) Give thanks in all circumstances. Are you sure about that? Pray without ceasing. Is that even possible? (laughs) Years ago, when I was a very young Christian, I came across this scripture and thought, how is anybody supposed to actually do that? (laughs) That's pretty impossible, God. 
And God told me that I could actually do that with his help. It's not something I do for him. It's something I cooperate with him to do. He told me to start talking to him like I could see him with my eyes physically. Pretend I could see him (laughs) because he is here. He is present, even if it was just in my mind. And then to include him in everything I was thinking. Sounds a lot like acknowledge him in all your ways. So I started with the easy stuff. (laughs) I started thanking him for everything I could think of as I went throughout my day. And what's interesting is that habit that I started all those years ago, I still find myself doing today. Often when I get into my shower, I often thank God, truly, from my heart, (laughs) for hot and cold running water. How many of you would like to not have hot and cold running water or running water at all? (laughs) Are we blessed? Yes, we are. Do we take those things for granted? Yes, we do. But see, I happen to know some missionaries (laughs) who didn't have hot and cold running water. (laughs) And I think about that when I get in my shower. Thank you, Jesus, for hot and cold running water. (laughs) Not everybody has this. I am especially blessed. That changes me. That doesn't change God. That changes me. Being thankful changes me. So when we purpose to express what we are thankful for, it doesn't take very long to figure out that we always have an abundance of things to be truly thankful for. Thank you, Lord, for my car. Thank you, Lord, for the gas. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that my car started. Thank you, Lord. You can thank literally from your heart, be thanking God continuously if you choose to. In the midst of my thanking God for everything, I would also sing and worship. (laughs) I figured that probably counted for rejoicing always. (laughs) But when it came to the praying without ceasing, I found that was a little more complicated. What and how does one pray without ceasing? In the Greek, the phrase without ceasing means without interruption which, if taken literally, would mean that we would just have to keep talking all the time. (laughs) Unless praying means more than just talking. And of course, it does. Praying also involves a whole lot of listening on our part. So I believe what God had in mind for us when he told us to pray without ceasing was the concept of constant communication with him which would include the talking and the singing and the seeking and the listening, but especially listening. I looked up the word listen in the Webster's 1828 dictionary, and it said this, to listen means to hearken, to give ear. And I like the last part of this, to attend closely with a view to hear. It's kind of like a baby monitor. You turn it on, and you're always listening. You're waiting for the sound of the baby. We have a God monitor (laughs) that's always on. We can always be listening for his voice in everything we do. It doesn't mean he's making the sound, but when he does, we automatically hear it. So I like this because it means we're always listening for God. It doesn't mean we're always talking. (laughs) We listen so that we can hear him and that we can recognize that we hear him. Truthfully, the matter is, we usually hear God a whole lot better than we think we do. My Sarah, she will be the first to tell you, don't hear God very well. (laughs) Big lie. And Satan loves to tell all believers, you can't hear God. God doesn't hear you. Who do you think you are? We hear God. God. We are his sheep. We hear his voice and we recognize. Now, we don't always recognize that him because he's so naturally supernatural. And you're standing in your pantry saying that there's nothing to eat. And he reminds you, oh yeah, you're fasting. You don't need anything to eat. (laughs) I didn't try to hear God. I just did. We don't have to try. So in fact, if you're trying really hard to hear God, you probably won't. Because you're trying to do what you're already doing. (laughs) You're already hearing. (laughs) 
<laughs> it doesn't work. It's like putting the glasses on your head and looking for them. <laughs> Same thing with hearing. We are his sheep and we do hear. And if you think you don't, you're believing a lie. And Satan will steal your constant communication from you because you believe what he tells you. Hearing God speak is really the most important part of prayer. It is what we need the most all of the time. When we hear God speak, it changes our mind, <laughs> which is exactly what we need him to do. If we believe God doesn't hear me or I can't hear God, that will become your reality because your faith is in, I can't hear God. So even when he's talking to you, your brain still says, no, I don't hear God. It's a big fat lie. <laughs> we need God to say, no, you hear me? See? <laughs> see, you hear me? Sarah, did you see the songs? You hear me? <laughs> what we need is a renewed mind and a mind renewed with the truth that's only found in the written word of God. I think the written word of God is God's favorite way to communicate with us. And that's because the written word of God contains the revelation of who God really is. He's not a mad God who's far away. We need to understand what happened to us, what Jesus did for us, and that God moved inside, and he's never mad at us, no matter how far we fall short of perfection. We need his word of God to show us what his general will is for every believer, which is wholeness. Way too much of the church does not believe God included healing in the cross, or that God included hearing his voice in the cross. There are thousands of Christians who don't know that they can hear his voice because that's what they've been told, that he's a God far away, a God that is hard to please. We also need to know what is available for us in the kingdom. We're only going to find that in the word. We need to know what he wants us to do for him and as him as his personal representatives on the earth. When we understand that God gets his will done on earth, primarily through believers <laughs> praying, declaring, and acting on the Word of God, it very quickly becomes apparent that praying and hearing God for ourselves is an absolute necessity. <laughs> and not just for ourselves. We have the kingdom. What are we supposed to do with it? <laughs> Live it out and give it away so other people can have it as well. In Ephesians 6.18, again, the Apostle Paul urges believers to be persistent in prayer and supplication. I have it for you with my helps. Praying always, which means through every occasion, with all prayer. That includes our prayer language, our known language, and the Bible language. <laughs> and supplication. Supplication, commentators say, refers to prayer for desperate situations. Like the 17 missionaries that are taken captive in Haiti. It's a dire situation, and God needs us to release the kingdom on their behalf. You see, if you don't think you hear God, if you don't think you have a kingdom, <laughs> if you don't know who you are and the power you have, that's the problem. <laughs> we have to understand how much power and glory that is released by our words when we speak. So it says, and supplication in the spirit, that's our position, and watching thereunto with all perseverance. Why? Is God slow? Why does he say persevere? Is God reluctant? You see, most Christians think he is. And so they say we have to persevere in prayer to get God to move. No. <laughs> we persevere because we live in a fallen world. Several messages ago, when we looked at what God calls us to do in a battle, which is to stay standing in grace by faith, I also told you about a problem that Andrew had expressed that happens with the Karis Bible College students. They finally get the revelation that they already have their healing, that God's already granted it, that it's already theirs. And they say, yay, I've got it. And then they sit down and do nothing and wait for God to do something. <laughs> if you don't have manifestation yet, we need to do something. What? Persevere 
in the truth of what God's word says belongs to us. We need to convince our own hearts. We need to release power and faith with our own words. We resist the enemy. We're not trying to get God to do something. He's already done everything and said, here, use it. Put that crown on. <laughs> Understand who you are on this earth, that we are to walk just like Jesus walked. He's the prototype. We can do what he did. Right there. So often they just don't continue to stand in grace, by faith, resisting the sickness and disease. They don't use their power and authority. They don't do anything. And then they go, God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> God, why are you taking so long? <laughs> and the truth is, he is never the problem. We are. <laughs> we sit down and we wait for God to do something instead of persistently resisting the evil that comes against us and other believers, standing in faith in the finished works of Jesus. The creation is fallen. People are fallen. Our bodies, which includes our flesh-headed brain, are still under the power of the present fallen creation. And all of this fallenness actively resists the power, presence, and authority of the God who lives in us. So we have to actively resist the fallen state of this world that is constantly coming against all human beings. One of the most important ways we do this is by speaking the truth of the written word of God over those situations and over those people who are in need because God is not in control. God is at work. He's always at work. <laughs> but he says, out of your mouth comes the power of ruling and reigning in this life, not only for yourself, but for those in need. If God had his way all of the time, if God was in control all of the time, we would have heaven on earth. We're not there yet. We have a part in co-ruling and co-reigning. He says, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do through you. <laughs> Unless you don't want to. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Who needs what? You find out very quickly that you are without enough resources to fix the whole world. And because we have the heart of Jesus, we would like to fix the whole world. <laughs> we would like to be able to meet everybody's needs. We would like to interfere in the plans of men. But we don't have that power. Except through Christ. You see, when we partner with him with our words, when we release his will, his kingdom, his power into those situations. Because most Christians aren't praying that. They're praying, please God, please God, please God. I'm so afraid, God, please God. Is there any faith in that at all? <laughs> Not usually. <laughs> when I start a prayer with please God, he goes, what? <laughs> oh yeah, I don't have to beg. My father has already said yes to everything I need for life and godliness. My question usually is, okay, how? How do I get from where I am to where the fullness of the kingdom is operating in me? How do I release the power of the kingdom of God in somebody else's life? With my words. The apostle Paul says, we need to pray, which means listen, <laughs> speak, hear, speak through every occasion from beginning to end. And what way too many believers do is to say, God's already done it, I don't have to do anything. 40% of the world has reformed theology which says God's in control, there's nothing we can do anyway. We're helpless, we're powerless, we can't do nothing. We just have to ask God to do something. And when nothing happens, they go, oh, it must have been God's will. Such disrespect for what the cross has done for us and as us. We have been adopted as sons of the living God. We have been seated on the throne with Christ so that we can, from that place of reality, speak God's will into existence. We are not powerless. I don't care what has been hard in your life. You are not powerless to overcome. You are not powerless to overcome. We are not helpless. 
We are not sinners in need of cleansing. We are not outside the Holy of Holies trying to get God to stop being mad and to let us in. We need to recognize that we are the Holy of Holies and that the King of the universe lives inside of us and he wants to come out. (laughs) We have the fullness of the power and presence of God himself. That's what Jesus came to show us, what God was really like. God reached out to sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. That would be the equivalent of a child molester today. And God said, you're not too far gone. What I have is for you, too. We need to recognize that we have been made. We're made, we're made, we're made. We're completely formed. (laughs) We've been made more than conquerors through the oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been called to answer the call to be persistent in prayer. We are called to insist that the powers of darkness bow their knee to the true king of this world, our Lord Jesus Christ. We must continue to stand in our Father's grace by faith in the finished works of Jesus. Through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus has made us holy, righteous, accepted, pure, powerful, and fully present in the Holy of Holies. And because of where we have been seated, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to pray for others to do what we can. God doesn't ask us to do things we can't, but to answer the call to be persistent in prayer for the victory of those who are suffering. We must continue to pursue constant communication with the God of the universe, our Father, our Jesus, and our Holy Spirit. To pray without ceasing is not a demand from God to do a particular kind of spiritual work that earns our Father's goodness and favor. It is an invitation to know really know our Father and our Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's an invitation to recognize our sonship and to take up our God-given place at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus as co-rulers and co-reigners in this life here and now. Our constant communication with God is vital to our being able to manifest God's kingdom in our own lives and in the lives of others. We absolutely must hear what God is saying by the Holy Spirit through his written word (laughs) and then speak and declare those truths from beginning of problem to end of problem in whatever evil day appears until the victory manifests. Satan loves to bring evil days into the lives of believers. He uses evil days to try to cripple believers with lies about who and what they are. He tells them that they are dirty and sinful and unrighteous and unholy, unwanted, that they're powerless and helpless, and there's nothing they can do. They should just sit down and stop trying. (laughs) And the primary reason he tells believers these kinds of things is to keep them from knowing how powerful they are in prayer. See, if you don't think your prayers matter, you won't pray. But when we get a revelation of how powerful God is in and through what we say, what we pray, that will give us a fire (laughs) to pray always about everything. America and around the world, we've had an evil day for quite a long time around here. It's called COVID. (laughs) COVID is not from God. It's not a judgment from God. It is a tool of the enemy. It inspires fear. It has decimated our economy. It has killed thousands of people. COVID is an evil day. But we don't have to just live in an evil day. We can do something about it. One of the things, and I asked Sarah if I could tell on her, (laughs) one of the things that Sarah has started doing with her children, you see, you got to teach your children that it matters what comes out of your mouth, that you are a co-ruler and co-reigner, and what you say has power and effect. And so she and the children, on the way to school, they recite the 91st Psalm. It doesn't matter what kind of plague (laughs) is out there. It's not coming nigh our dwelling. Why? Because we are under the shadow of the Almighty. We are safe. Salvation means safe. Basic understanding, Jesus makes us safe and he keeps us safe. But he says, you have responsibility. You gotta let it come out of your mouth. You gotta speak your faith because it does change things. So she has started doing that and she's been doing it all along herself. All she's doing is standing, speaking the word, believing God. And little by little, her husband's at work 
and the guy he normally works with doesn't come to work. And then he works with somebody else. They reassign him. And then we find out, oh, that person has COVID, and he wasn't there to get it. And God has done this over and over. He keeps showing her, going, see, see, I moved those people. <laughs> and see, this over here. Yeah, she was going to go have dinner with her brother. She asked him to dinner. And he says, no, I can't go. I have other plans. He was watching a football game and getting COVID. <laughs> and one of her questions is, why did he get COVID? I'm praying for him too. Why did he get COVID? And he said, well, there's personal responsibility. <laughs> there's personal responsibility. But what God has continuously done is to make sure that neither her husband nor her has been where she could get COVID because she stands on the word and speaks her faith. That's praying. You see, what I love about that is they didn't do anything. <laughs> They didn't keep themselves safe. God was at work in the midst. God was doing the orchestrating. God was doing the moving. God will do stuff when we stand in grace, by faith in the finished works of Jesus and speak. We are co-rulers and co-reigners. That means we need to get busy <laughs> understanding who we are and participating and bringing the kingdom to everybody we know. Amen? Father God, we thank you for your truth of your word. Your word is like breath in our lungs. It is a delight to our hearts when we understand the new covenant. Father God, we thank you for the Old Testament, and we thank you, Father God, that you still speak. But I thank you, Lord, that you have given us new eyes to see the real you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we understand that you are God who is completely love and completely good and does not desire or wish evil on any person for any reason. You are not a God who is angry and mad and threatening people with death. You are good and holy and truthful and gentle and kind and peaceful. You are our very life. And Father God, I thank you for the word. We would be lost without your word. <laughs> literally, spiritually. We would be lost without your Holy Spirit constantly communicating to us. Father God, we thank you that you cause us to hear. We thank you, Father God, that you cause us to know you. That all we have to do is look to you, and you're the one who does all the work. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.